When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. And if you've got the eye of a detective, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery adventure as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the Roaring Twenties. With more than a thousand scenes filled with clues, there's always something new to discover. You may even trek across the globe for your next lead. Every week, new chapters are added with new characters to meet and places to search. Plus, there are tons of fun, unique features to keep you entertained. From building your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings, to collecting scraps of information on each character to fill your photo album. You can even play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today, available on Android and iOS mobile devices, as well as on PC through Facebook games. Hey, this is Liv Warfield, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcast. History in Five Songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Martin Popoff here back again for another episode of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, Simplecast, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. I'm calling this one, uh, this is episode 173. I'm calling this that one massive album. You know, I want to talk about some of these bands that had that one huge album, but in different ways. Uh, this has come about a number of ways. Uh, number one, I just, uh, well, well, uh, Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets just came through, and we just did an episode sort of in tribute to that. Um, I'm also doing these 60-second shorts for BraveWords.com, and, and I did one that's a bit of a complicated concept around ACDC touring back in black forever that I felt a little frustrated that I couldn't really get it straight in 60 seconds. So I want to talk about that. Plus I've been doing these, um, actually Van Halen's one I could have done this on, right? Um, but I've been doing these, uh, top 20, uh, songs ranked, uh, for Goldmine, which have been a lot of fun. And then, uh, and then a lot of fun, uh, you know, arguing with trolls. Um, we just did the, the, uh, Van Halen, um, David Lee Roth era and the Sammy Hager one, but I, but I've got to, to do one spoiler alert. I've got to do one on uh, Metallica. 
And it got me thinking about Metallica and going through that music, and I've got some views there as well. So I just want to look at these huge, huge albums these bands had uh, in slightly different ways as we go through them. So, okay. Number one, uh, take a listen to this. This is our first selection today. This is uh, Pink Floyd with On The Run. All right, so Dark Side of the Moon, uh, March 1st, 1973. As some of you may know, the word is getting out. I've got a Dark Side of the Moon uh, 50th anniversary book coming out through uh, Motorbooks Cordo next year. I've, I've seen, you know, the pages in the cover. It's very, very elegant and swell, sort of like the David Bowie book. I don't think it's going to be that uh, elaborate, but it's going to be very nice. Um, but the theme here is uh, is this time old thing that rock stars complain about, and it's kind of true that in the old days, um, labels would keep you around. They'd give you more kicks at the can uh, to just see if you can become successful. Um, and then later on, there became this trope, you know, true or not. I think it is kind of true when I think of all the 90s alternative CDs that I have. Uh, this idea that... Um, you know, you essentially, uh, they throw a bunch of bands against the wall and hope one hope one of them sticks sort of thing. Um, so that you had a lot of bands in the 90s that got these major label deals and they only got to put out one CD or whatever. So, so the idea with Pink Floyd is that, um, and this was another point I wanted to make off of that last episode, the idea with Pink Floyd is that Dark Side of the Moon is their eighth album. Uh, pretty crazy. And uh, not a very commercial band before this. It's not like not like they were making hitsy music. Uh, you think of Adam Hart, Mother, and Amagama, and even Metal, but Obscured by Clouds and more. I mean, there's some folky, mellow stuff on there, sure. But there's a lot of wacky, wacky, you know, psych and beyond psych and kraut rock, essentially. Uh, you've got some pretty odd, way out there oddball music. And yet uh, they were kept around, didn't really sell that many records. Um, so the funny thing that happens with Dark Side of the Moon is that, okay, so this became a massive, massive album. It went gold immediately. Um Oddly, if you look at the RIA on this, and I'll explain why this is, um, it doesn't get certified platinum until 1990. And what happens is, um, you know, they're kept around by the American, remember, there's a sort of a split between the UK and American label, but they're kept around um, by the American label and Pink Floyd's getting frustrated with the American label not being able to break them. And so uh, the crazy thing is, I, I just put a little bit of a thing here. A newly appointed chairman, Baskar Menon, set about trying to reverse the relatively poor sales of the band's 1971 studio album, Metal. Um, so essentially, uh, what happens is the U.S. label does turn things around. They issue a lot of hit singles. They do a lot of smart things. But the wheels were already turning um, that Pink Floyd was going to leave uh, Capitol, and so they went with CBS. They they signed with Clive Davis, Columbia, and uh, and the next record was going to be uh, released in America on Columbia, and that was "Wish You Were Here." So it's it's kind of weird how that happens, but you do see it reflected in the way the um, the RIAA plays out. It's like the old label really has no interest anymore in. Uh, in celebrating this band in, in a certain way. But so, so yeah, the, the one theme here is about, um, is about this idea of, wow, labels really were patient, uh, back in the old days. Um, you know, granted 
what turns out with this record is um, it's not like they made it completely, completely, completely on their own terms. They did creatively. This is the record they wanted to make, and they're proud of it, and they love it. It's one of their favorite records. Um, so it is on their own terms that way, but it certainly is much more, uh, you know, user-friendly than than any previous Pink Floyd album. Uh, it's it's all reasonably length songs, so you don't have the whole Echoes thing going on or Saucer Full of Secrets or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's a unique sound, this band. Uh, it's essentially... Easy, easy listening, you know, to, to put it, you know, in a, in a horrible way. <laughs> it's soft rock. It's not even really prog. Uh, there's not a lot going on. Um, and I always like to joke that, uh, that with Pink Floyd, one of the big things that made them famous was this brilliant idea of having little spoken words, snippets, and sound effects. Uh, this is what turned people on, you know. It's a, we're, we're becoming into, uh, you know, comfort in the early 70s with the idea of, of, concept albums and long albums albums you can ex escape into and they created that with this record as well it's it's disciplined but it is a concept album um so yeah everything's right about the record it had a lot of hit singles blah 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 but yeah it doesn't get certified platinum until 1990 uh and then on the same day uh basically february 16th 1990 it's it gets certified platinum and 11 times platinum, <laughs> and then 12 times 13, 15. It looks like the last time they went for certification on this was 1998. Um, so there's actually a good dose of CD sales still happening for, what would you guys say, uh, up until, say, around 2007, 2008, CDs are still pretty strong. Um, so, you know, chances are it's gone way beyond um, 15 times platinum. Um so yeah, all right, let's uh, let's move on to our next selection here. Take a listen to this. This is ACDC with Have a Drink on Me. Okay, so this is the thing I was trying to explain in that brave word short. And, you know, this isn't fully my idea. Well, it actually is my idea. I brought it up with David Krebs. David Krebs is a buddy of mine. He's the, um, he's the, uh, the he was the manager of ACDC from Highway to Hell, essentially through to, uh, for those about to rock. Um, now, um, so the idea goes like this. So, so they have this album come out. Like, let's not forget, they had a gold album with Highway to Hell. Then they had a platinum album, and, and really, unfortunately, the reason Highway to Hell went platinum is it goes platinum in March of 1980, Bon Scott dies in February of 1980. But they put out this album, Back in Black, you know, all the tensions on them and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, they got this new singer, which is supposed to be a super, super challenge, but... Um, it sells like crazy. So it, it takes off and it sells regularly through the 80s. So the theme is this. This is the thing I was trying to explain. Um, you know, we had the pr provocative sort of title, uh, um, was Back in Black the last album ACDC ever toured? Okay, so let that sink in for a second. So the idea here is that it works like this. So you go on, you know, the, the next record does quite well, but it's a big drop off from Back in Black. But then you get up to Flick of the Switch and Fly in the Wall and, and, you're, and you're in that sort of platinum zone for these records, like single platinum, right? So imagine the band going on the Flick of the Switch tour. So 
you know, most of the copies of Flick of the Switch are already sold, you know, the ones that sell right away. Well, in, with a record like this, the only copies that sold are the ones that sold right away. So they're selling to the, you know, the happy, uh, you know, with it, uh, you know, woke to ACDC fan base. The guys who know a new album is coming out. And then and then there's, you know, and, and you know, even to be more extreme of that, you know, most of us music nerds, quite often we'd be hassling our record store uh, employee. When's the new ACDs? You got it? You got it? You got it? No, no, no. So, right? So then it comes out, you buy it. And then there's another layer that uh, that will succumb, uh, you know, fairly quickly to seeing print ads or hearing it on radio. So they go out and buy it. Uh, you know, and, and but now, okay, so the band goes on the Flick of the Switch tour, right? So most of the copies of this that go up to a million copies are sold. Say, say they go on tour and they sell 500,000 copies of Flick of the Switch, ostensibly, quote unquote, off the tour, right? Um, the fact of the matter is, they're selling 1.5 million copies of Back in Black off of that, and probably another 500,000 for those about to rock off of that. So, you know, this discussion I had with David this one time was that from a management point of view, because he gets paid a lot of money every every time ACDC still sells a copy of Back in Black, it's 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 wild listening to that conversation. But anyways, the label as well, right? Um, and the band, of course. Um, so as far as everybody is concerned, in terms of the business motivation to be on this tour or or one of the one of the business outcomes that is important and good is the fact that you are pushing copies of back in black on the flick of the flick of the switch tour now, you, you know and and that's your successful thing um you are actually selling more copies of back in black on the fit on the flick of the switch tour or for those about to rock than you are a flick of the switch get to fly in the wall you're still selling more copies of back in black. Now the thing that I want to stress here is that I would I would suspect that most of these copies getting sold of back in back in black. Like let me look here. So so yeah, it's 5 times platinum by 1984, it's 10 times platinum by 1990. So the narrative is is this record just sells regularly all through the 80s, okay? That's kind of what happens. So wouldn't you guys agree with me that uh all these copies of back in black that are selling uh, are not selling because it's the new ACDC album, are not selling to the faithful fans because it's six years later now. They're selling more or less because the tour is promoting record sales and the tour is promoting the band. And like I say, they've got this massive hit album, so this is the album they're touring. So that's my whole thing that I was trying to explain. Uh, essentially, uh, every tour that ACDC's ever done, you know, this changes a little bit, maybe when we get to the death of CD and we get to streaming but probably not really in the fundamentals. Um, although, you know, I guess eventually, you know, up into 2015, 2016, when ACDC had their last touring, um, you know, all of the record sales are more or less over, whatever. But my point is that through the 80s and through the 90s, I think ACDC was touring back in black. There you go. All right. Uh, this episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. 
Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal, normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Join the millions of people who are seeing what online therapy is really about. It's always a good time to invest in yourself because you are your greatest asset. And special offer to History in 5 Songs with Martin Popoff listeners. You can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash 5songs. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash 5songs. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's move on to our third selection. Take a listen to this. This is Whitesnake with Children of the Night. Okay, so this is from White Snake, 1987, or you know, white. It's called White Snake. It's also called 1987. Very confusing. The recording is very confusing. So is, uh, so it is with Slide It In. Um, March 30th, 1987. Big hits off of this album. Crying in the rain, still the night. Here I go again. Is this love? Eight times platinum. So I got a couple themes I want to mention with this one. So the the album before it, Slide It In, only went double platinum. Slip of the Tongue after it was considered a big failure at uh, single platinum. It's kind of considered the weak T version of uh, the White Snake album. So here are my themes. So within five t- uh, uh, w- within a year, this record went five times platinum. So it it sold very fast. Um, and again, I almost feel like, uh, you know, I want to use the term sugar rush here because we're talking in the hair metal era, right? So so a couple of themes. Number one, uh, this is a band that, uh, you know, benefited hugely by, by the MTV videos. So I think this is a band that was really selling with those iconic uh, Tawny Katane videos. You know, the big hair. These guys had the biggest hair going. Um, and those videos were absolutely massive. So this, this album is one that was hugely, hugely affected by video play. Another theme I, I want to say here, kind of an abstract idea, uh, being this big of a band and having this big of an album doesn't really fit well with these guys. It's almost anybody ever talks about with Whitesnake. It's kind of odd. Um, it's almost like um, here they are doing this, but they don't really belong in the club. You don't really consider them an elite band because they fell off so fast and they they became... You know, they kind of went on to smaller labels and they took all that time off. Um, And they've just become kind of a low hum, you know, package band, uh, sandwich band, you know, second on the bill. There's all the problems with David's, you know, kind of losing his voice. Um, And also don't remember, this is a band a little bit like Pink Floyd that took a long time to really have much of a hit. Um, They always remind me of Gillen in a way, though, that they, they seem to have enough energy and activity and releases and news about them all the time, at least in the UK, you know, during that early run kind of thing. But yeah, Kind of, kind of a weird idea, but but this this is a one band where it just doesn't really fit them well. They they don't seem like a band that should have an album this big. Um, the last the last theme I want to mention here is that I think this album did well because um, we're already getting that bellwether canary in the coal mine idea that. 
people were looking for something different. And this was a different sort of hair metal album. The band looked completely hair metal, that's for sure. Um, but they had this long, weird, complicated history with all these members in and out of the band. They still had veterans in the band so i think i think hair metal fans were saying yeah you know what i'm i'm kind of i'm kind of getting tired of all these kids it's kind of cool to have veterans they had the bluesy thing going so pretty soon around the corner we're getting bluesy bluesy hair metal and dirty hair metal so they had that kind of thing going with them as well and then the album itself it's kind of a weird one it's got these sort of uh quintessential hair metal ballads but on the heavy end, those songs are really oppressive and smothering and heavy and dirty and nasty and hugely recorded um, and noisy. Uh, so it's it's a strange sort of hair metal album in that uh, half the songs are almost too sickly sweet and maudlin and corporate and, and made for this um, hair metal world to a T. And the other songs say, well... I guess if we're going to go that far on one side, we better go this far on the other side. And hence you get the greatest riff of all time in Still of the, Still of the Night, right? Um, but yeah, and then you get this whole story of that they, um, you know, they moved from, they moved from the UK to the US to make it and that whole narrative of John Kalodner getting in that. That's why I called my book Sail Away, White Snake's Fantastic Voyage or something like that. Unfortunately, that book is out of print. We should try to figure out a way to get that back into print. By the way, also with the Pink Floyd from the same people. So, you know, with a very nice uh, design, I have ACDC at 50 coming out next year as well. So so the Pink Floyd and the ACDC are coming out next year. Maybe we'll try to figure out a way to get the White Snake back into print. Anyways, let's move on to our fourth selection. Uh, take a listen to this. This is Guns N' Roses with Think About You. Okay, Appetite for Destruction, July 21st, 1987. Now, looking at the um, the RIAA Golden Platinum search for this one, um, you do see something that dispels a myth. And, and, you know, I've been guilty of it as well because I kind of remembered it at the time like this, but I think our time frames are more compressed and this, and this leads into that sugar rush thing I just talked about. But um, the narrative always has been somewhat that, oh, it take a, took a little while for Guns N' Roses to take off. Not really true when it comes to the gold and platinum. This was eight times platinum within a year and a half of release. So this album did amazing right out of the gates. What is our theme this time? Well, a um, couple of themes with this one. This almost feels like a bunch of dirt bags, you know, a, a, a bunch of street rats had this massive, massive success and they're 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 a sort of textbook case of a band that couldn't handle it. They fell into massive booze and drugs and excesses and uh, and um, you know drama, girl boy drama, drama between them, fighting. Um, so that's one theme. Uh, this reminds me of a band that couldn't handle the success. I don't I don't really feel. Who have we just talked about? Yeah, that didn't really happen with Pink Floyd. It didn't really happen with ACDC. I don't think it happened with Whitesnake. Um, so that's one theme. And the other theme is uh, this idea of 
this is a band that seems like they could never live down that album and could never really follow it up. They come out with two great albums in Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, not too, too long later. Um, you know, we're so conditioned with how long the later, later came after that. It's uh, it's like a, a two and three times as long as a Def Leppard later. But Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 were just three years later. Uh, well, four years later, I guess. Uh, but they delivered, um, you know, a single CD packed all the way to like 77, 78 minutes times two. So you got a 146 minutes of music. So you essentially got three albums. Um, well, what? yeah, three three albums, three long albums, actually, out of them all at once. Uh, so people kind of tend to forget that. And they were pretty big albums. But, um, you know, since then, it's, it's fallen into this thing that uh, that uh, literally the narrative, when you simplify it down, and anybody who may not be that big a Guns N' Roses fan will snipe at this band snidely and say, ah, oh, they only had the one album. You know, ah, oh, they're, li- they're, they're, uh, they're, you know, Get, getting drinks at the bar for the rest of their lives bought for them off of one record, right? Uh, and that's kind of been the narrative ever since. Um, and it's kind of their own fault because they haven't followed up Use Your Illusion 1 and 2. We've got the Axel Chinese Democracy thing, but not really the Guns N' Roses band. And people are pretty frustrated that this band hasn't followed uh, up this album again. So is it some sort of jinx? Is it is it some sort of fear of they can't live up to that album? Is it uh, we're just so exhausted by being the rock stars we've become because of the success of that album that we can't follow it up. I don't know what it is. But anyways, this is currently at 18 times platinum. uh, And the last certification was in 2008. So yeah, not a lot more record sales really to come after that. But again, you know, this is a band that, uh, that, you know, has, has spottily at least got back and, and toured all the time. So I imagine there's still whatever version of, you know, are there causing Spotify plays of this album? Anyways, let's move on to our fifth and last selection. This is Metallica with Through the Never. Okay, so this is Metallica's big album, the Black Album. Uh, you know, that's the colloquial name. It's really just called Metallica. Um, now, I, I got to thinking about including this one because of, like I say, I had to write a top 20 and I've been playing this music. And oh, the odd thing is, I don't know if, if in my top 20 as it currently stands, I've got anything besides Enter Sandman in there. I won't go into why I'm leaving that in there Um you know, hear too much, but, uh, or maybe not at all. But uh, the theme with this one, I think there's a couple of themes going on here. Um, You know, a little bit like ACDC, but not like Pink Floyd and certainly not like Guns N' Roses um, and not really like White Snake, I would say either. Um, I think with Metallica, you've got a bubbling under band that everybody is really excited with before this album comes out. So people were excited about Metallica at Kill 'Em All, more people got excited and for new and more exciting ways with Ride the Lightning. More people got excited about them by an album that is often considered the greatest heavy metal album of all time, Master of Puppets. And then people were still excited, maybe a bit of a drop-off or a bit of a pondering with Justice for All, whatever. Um, but the sales kept going up. This band kept touring. 
this this was this was an exciting band that was super heavy but was actually doing rather well at the box office and record sales as well so one of the themes here is that sometimes this big album is the result of just a super amount of welling up excitement and now it's your time uh, and that's like I say not always the case with these these bands the other theme here that I find really interesting uh, is that Metallica really thinks like fans, and this is the album that themselves as fans and their fans uh, were quietly asking them for after And Justice For All. Um, I think everybody thought those songs got too long and too complicated, too many riffs in them. It had the problem with the production thing. People forget, but it was a double album at the time, but it was kind of a short double album, so that kind of annoyed people as well. But the point is, is that uh, on paper... Uh, all fans of Metallica uh, would have been pretty excited. I, I know this from the time. I mean, of course, there's the purists who say just faster the better, more thrashier the better. But I think a lot of people were intrigued by the idea of having Metallica A, slow down, and B, way thicken up their sound, which they did in you know in, to the nines on this record. Um, I personally... And this is why I don't have too many songs in my top 20. I personally think it's way too slow um, and way too kind of dinosaurish and cavemanish. Um, the production's great, perfectly fine with uh, with Bob Rock's production on it. Um, but yeah, I I think uh, I think that that's kind of a cool thing that they hit here is that. And, and Metallic fans loved it because it, it sold massively. It became a huge, huge hit. So, you know, they didn't really lose many Metallica fans with it. You know, myself, is pro- I'm, I'm probably a little bit of a minority that I was a little disappointed with it. Um, but so so the brilliant thing they did with this is they is they kept all the Metallica fans and they tacitly did what, what most of them probably would have thought would have been a pretty intriguing idea. And then also at the same time, by the way, this new thing they're doing is way more commercial than the old thing they were doing. So, uh, you know, there there were some some balladic type things, some ballads on this album, but essentially Enter Sandman is just a super user-friendly, catchy, groovy, easy to understand. Uh, it's even got a catchy title with Enter Sandman. It's got great parts. It's just it's just the epitome of a of a heavy metal hit single uh and it was an advanced single and i loved it okay so i guess i'm saying everything i was going to say about enter sandman but i loved it um and when i'm doing my top 20 list it's going to be in there i'm going to resist you know uh taking it out because i'm sick of it or whatever but but i'm i i know i really liked it at the time and i thought it was a great song and then when i got the album it was my favorite song on it still so that's that's what kind of sucks um so yeah this album went Seven times platinum within two years. Uh, currently at 16 times platinum. Uh, then we've got a five times platinum for load, three times for reload, uh, double platinum for St. Anger and Death Magnetic, and uh, one times platinum, single platinum for Hardwired. Uh, so, um, you know, you could say there's a little bit, bit of that ACDC thing going on in here too. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll posit it to you. You guys can let me know on the Facebook. Do you think... Do you think when Metallica was touring Reload or Saint Anger, um, let's not get up into like the the death of physical, but let's say for, for those two records, do you think maybe uh, as far as the accountants were concerned, back at back at the record label, um, they were essentially touring the Black Album? That's my idea. All right. Uh, if you like this episode and want to support future uh, future episodes, please go to Kofi Rhymes with No Fee dot com. Uh, 
slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button and buy me a coffee or a pint. On that front this week, I would like to thank Bruce Campbell, James Farquhar, David Fisher, Jeremy French, Peter Kerr, Monty Olson, Augustine Garcia de Predes, Steve Polari, and Wendy Tip. Uh, thank you all very much. Um, I should have easy action back in stock. The Alice Cooper, you know, timeline and quotes book, blah blah blah. You know, the the break the breakdown of the of the old book into trade paperbacks. The Damned is still available. I love that book. Uh, if you want to get into the Damned, uh, that is there. Uh, and I still have Feed My Frankenstein. So those are those are the new ones still available at martinpopoff.com. That's it. Go play some of these big albums. Let me know if there's some interesting contours that you want to mention about Fleetwood Mac Rumors or Hotel California or Van Halen, Van Halen, the record's so good they had to name it twice, or Van Halen 1984. Uh, But we'll leave it there for now. Talk to you later. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at R&R Archaeology. Some folks don't stop till they find the truth. June's Journey is a roaring 20s murder mystery hidden object game. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android or iOS devices and on PC through Facebook games. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.